thekitlocker.com club series podcast. podcast. Talking everything grassroots. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the kitlocker.com club series podcast. Today we're focusing on how to successfully run a girls football club at a grassroots level. I'm Ollie from the marketing team at Kitlocker, joined by Ben, a new business development manager. And today we've got Michael Taylor from Uxton Girls and Emma Eaton from East Surrey Girls. So I'll leave you guys to introduce yourselves and give us a bit of a background around the clubs that you work with. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so um, I'm uh, uh, Michael from, I'm a coach and secretary at Exton Girls uh, up in Lancashire. Um, currently, yeah, we've got 17 teams, uh, 250 Odd girls, a wildcat centre, and uh, we just can't wait to get get started again. So, um, I'm Emma Eaton. I'm the founder, chair, and secretary of East Surrey Girls. Um, so we're a football club that was founded in 2018, and we currently have five teams, and we also run a wildcat centre. Perfect. Um, Sorry, Michael, I called you Uxton Girls and it's Exton Girls. It's all right, everybody does. There's a, yeah, I, think, I suppose there's different ways to interpret how that's how yeah. that spelled. So. Um, cool. Um, I guess I've got a number of topics um, to go through. So I'll just start from the top and we'll just rattle through them and then just go from there about where, where, where that leads to. So first things first then, Michael, I'll end this at you first. You've got... Uh, age groups from 5 to 18, I believe I'm right in saying. How did you get from the first single team to getting into those multiple age groups? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's all about opportunity. Back in, in 2002, the, it, it, it was tough. It was tough for girls. And, and when I were chairman and started it, he started it for his, his granddaughter that couldn't actually get in um, to into football teams because of boys so they started with, with one team and then it's just grown from there and then it's just it's just snowballed over the years with, with you know with, we've had school tournaments we've done all sorts and it's just um, got massive but I think I think the big draw is with it with it being a purely purely female environment and and, and creating the opportunity for, for girls to, to come yeah and Emma what about you? Uh, yeah I think you're so right Michael about the fact it's a because it's a girls only environment that is the key setting point and for our club um, I coached a team at a boys club um, and the team wasn't really um, a priority for the club it was kind of seen as a like an extra addition it was a nice nice little thing and although I wanted to grow it the the club weren't that keen so we kind of stepped away and that's where Isari Girls sort of was created and from there, because we had a team of sort of 11 girls, one summer we just ran some free sessions in the park and we got five girls. Next week we got 10 girls and then just it just grew from there. And then that season we entered two teams. And then, yeah, that was sort of, that was sort of how we started. And it's exactly that. It's because it is a girls-only environment and that's what the girls want. Um, and, yeah, we've sort of gone from strength to strength really in those last three years do you find with with it with obviously having it being just a girls team i was just going to say having it in girls in the name of the club 
has has that opened up any more sponsors? Has that opened up any more doors purely because you're identified as a girls' team? I definitely think that in terms of sponsorship, it does help. I think because brands can see the progression of women and girls' football and it's something they want to get involved in. So I've, have, I've definitely had conversations with people in the past who said, you should take girls out of your name because it really it sort of separates yourself and it, it should be more inclusive, which I do agree. But on the flip side, actually, this is what we do. It's our bread and butter is girls' football. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't we celebrate that? And I think that is something that brands really do buy into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, just following on from what Emma said there, I think, I don't know what it's like where, where Emma comes from, but around our area, there's, there's some massive boys clubs and we just, we, we, we're just small compared to that. We just get drowned out, the, you know, the, all the pitches are taken, all the schools are taken by clubs with 20, 30 teams. So it's really shows how far we've come to be able to hold our own against against big bigger boys only clubs so um but but yeah definitely it's, it, having that girls in there definitely helps us stand out and, and keeps that uh, in focus is work needs to be i suppose that's your brand as well isn't it you know you are a girls team and that is your brand and that's what you've got to stay true to so that was one of the questions that i'd actually got written down so thanks for that ben about um about sponsorship it's fine that you brought it up now but uh, yeah it's so what kind of not to get too you know i don't want to get too in depth about like you know what sponsorships you've got at the moment and and whatnot but i know looking at it from a from a boy side of thing there's a lot of emphasis on it's either like a parent of a player or you're sending really like cold emails or messages out on social media to certain companies that might be local or nationwide or whatever. Is it a little bit different for you guys then with that unique selling point? Are people coming to you and saying, we want to partner with you because you are a girls team? No, I don't, certainly not as far as we're concerned. It's a, it's a constant struggle to, to get any sponsors. I mean, the amount of emails I send, you know, we've, we've been really lucky. We have, we have, most of it comes from parents or somebody they know or, you know, a random email I'll send out and they'll they'll say, yeah, of course, how much do you want sort of thing. Um, but there's, I'm not getting anything that's specifically because we're a girls club, it's, it's, it's still it's, it's still the hard work and effort to actually say, come on, we need some um, some help. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it would be nice if, if people were knocking on the door. But, you know, I've not seen that yet. Yeah, the same goes for us, really. Um, we're quite fortunate. We've got a quite cool sponsor at the moment love corn don't know if you've ever heard of that it's like the corn snack that's like crisps and they're like a big brand they're like up there with you know like walkers type vibes so the fact that they sponsor us is pretty impressive and they sponsor us really because we are a girls football club but it came from a parent so it is that sort of the thing like you need that inside contact to get it going and then sort of they they buy into the fact you're a girls football club. Yeah. Whereabouts in Surrey are you based, Emma? Um, sort of around Red Hill. So there's there's a lot of headquarters of big companies around there as Loads. well. Loads. Yeah. So you've got that melting pot of very much corporate parents and, and working in the city kind of thing. So those the alignment of that sponsor is relatively easier to not easier, but it's more accessible. Potentially up in the north west, Michael. Yeah, if, I think 
we've got a club uh, in the northwest Waverton, AFC Waverton, that, that went to MBNA because they're in that Cheshire area. And they got a club wide sponsor from from MBNA from the whole like Nike partner club pitch and it, it got aligned very well. Um but you just gotta knock on the oh not got knock not knock on the right doors, just know the right people at times, haven't you? Yeah, it's 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 difficult and it's it's a road I've, I was going down before for looking for a club sponsor, um, partners and other bits and pieces just to try and get that momentum going. Hopefully, um, once things things start getting more back to normal, it will make life a bit easier. Um, both got. A, a, I mentioned it a moment ago. Sorry to jump in there, Michael. Exactly. The, the Nike Partner Club uh, branding, well, not branding club that you're part of, the community you're part of. I do think with a lot of clubs that we work with, they don't always utilise that that name, that brand, that alignment as as much as they could do. Now, Emma, you're you're already at an advantage where you've got Love Corners as the club sponsor, I dare say. But I think clubs can do, and we can always assist with this: is is bottle that MPC branding and go out there to get other other um, other sponsors on the way that I go to clubs and say, being part of this community, Nike Partner Club. You're, you're aligning yourself again to, next to the biggest brand in the world. You, the club can take that information and then go to a sponsor. You can go Nike club sponsor and pitch to those, and then that's how clubs do bring it on board. And there has been some great success stories, for example, Waverton. But I think there's you've got to take that proactive approach sometimes and think right, let's get all this, get the branding done, and like get it out there, and let's see what uh, what comes. But that's the development of grassroots football as well. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm really trying to do as well as partnerships with, you know, uh, I've, not, I've not started this yet, player pathways, partnerships and embrace the whole thing and turn it into not so much a extant girls, but a, as a girls football yeah. um, in general type of thing, but with an extant girls branding. So hopefully, yeah, once we start getting more back to normal, I can, we can start really, really pushing on with um, with all that and getting out of there. So. Sorry, I digressed there, Ollie. No, it's all right, but uh, moving on, because there's multiple topics to get through. I'm just conscious of people's time. Um, talked about a little bit already, but what kind of barriers to entry do girls have? Um, so, you know, if we've got parents listening to this that have got a young girl that, get, that wants to get into football, realistically, where do they start trying to identify a club that's local to them? It's... Yeah, there's a, this is the, this is the, the tricky part. As much as as much as we put it out there, a lot of it, um, believe it or not, comes from schools and, and the mates and what the mates doing. We we do a lot, especially with Wildcats, um, pushing it out to all the schools in the area, and we, we have a lot of success from that. And we have a lot of girls. One thing we're really good at is retention from eight up to eighteen. So it's that it's that next generation and keep that conveyor belt going that said there's a lot of 12 13 14 year olds never done it before and and the and they just send a random email or whatever and and that's the key part it's a better opportunity there's no trials with us there's no um preconceptions if you want to play come and play try it see if you like it if you don't don't that's it's just getting that information and enough visibility for people to make that um make that decision and and in the right place rather than um, being led down what what may be a, a, a wrong path to start with um, elsewhere. But, but yeah, that's how, how, how we work. I also think, I agree with everything you said there, and I think that confidence is also a huge barrier for girls, uh, particularly younger girls. 
where if they haven't got a friend playing or they they don't there's not opportunities to play in school they instantly think they're not very good so that they're not going to be able to do it and things like wildcats is brilliant because it is totally a space where everyone is a beginner it's fun and you just have a have a good time but sometimes it's getting the girls actually just giving it a go for the first time it's that one opportunity that they struggle with and we've definitely had girls come to wildcats before who you know stand by their mum's side for the whole session because they're so nervous to get going but once they give it a go they love it so it's just that whole confidence thing i think that is a, it can be a huge barrier i guess at any age group for girls playing football yeah and then that's what makes it so easy with it being a, a girl's environment it's there's less pressure everybody's friendly that there's, it's nowhere near as competitive as boys and, and everybody's up against each other. It's just, it, yeah, it, it makes life a lot easier for anybody that wants to start, in, uh, in my opinion. Do you find as well that, this may be a question also, apologies, but do you find that the girls coming to a session for the first time, it is an easier transition or more accommodating comfortable if it's a female coach? Yeah, yeah that... For, for us, it's difficult. We, we don't have a lot of female coaches and I'm, and I'm really trying to push that to get it out of there. Not that it matters because all the coaches that we do have, they're all, they all do a fantastic job. They're all welcoming. There's nobody, there's zero pressure to anybody coming in regardless of who's coaching it. That said, we, we can't be um, a female coach or, or that role model or whatever. As, as good as some of, some of our coaches are and, and as, as as far as I can go, I can do everything. But that, that, that's the, the one thing what, what, what we do need more than anything else is that, is that female role model in that position to, to do it. But that said, we've got plenty of, um, of, of the people, guys that we are, are doing it. And, you know, I couldn't ask, I couldn't ask for more from them. Um, but, but, yeah, definitely. That is definitely something that we need more of. Yeah, we're in a similar situation as well where we're a club. <clears throat> I'm the only female coach in our coaching team and they all, all the guys are brilliant. But it would be nice to have more female coaches and we, we do like surveys of our players and we try to find out like what they like about the club, what they would like to improve. And one of the things is to see more female coaches and it's just, we know that that's what people want or that's what the girls want. It's just actually putting that into practice. But I think that potentially could make a huge difference, particularly with something like Wildcats. Um, I think teams maybe it's not as important, but if we could, yeah, get more female coaches in Wildcats, it just creates an environment where they feel more safe, I think. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be difficult, and touching on the female coaching perspective is, that means traditionally it's a parent, if not it's a, um, a person graduating from school or university. So if you're looking at the parent age, it's 30, 35, I'm just going stereotypical, um, myself as well, but... Do you, if you look back 15 years ago when that parent may have played sport, there wasn't as much women and girls football available, was there? Therefore, there isn't that transition into coaching. Therefore, there isn't as many available coaches to take it up. So it's, it's hard. Where do you look to, to recruit, I guess, new female coaches, yeah. colleges and such as well? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point, that. Like, so what, what we're currently looking at now with our our Wildcats um, coordinator is is getting um, like year nine students who are doing Duke of Edinburgh's um, and other things like that to come and to come and start them on that on that journey of 
come in and do wildcats, progress, be an assistant coach and, and work the way up as well as our, as our more senior players as they're coming to the end. Look at start giving giving a bit back. But having said that, the, the coaches, all the coaches that we do have, generally you only do it because your daughter's doing it. So you've already got that. You're not coming in cold. You're already on on the side of the girls straight away because you know what they're up against and everything else. So, so that, yeah, that, it makes life a lot easier. But that, that would, that's the sort of thing that we're looking at down the line to get more um, more, more girls girls back into it and, and, and moving up it through the through the team's ages. But yeah, it is, it's difficult. And it's something we're trying to focus on loads at the moment. Our club is, is that, yeah, we're, if we need some coaches, we do rely on the parents, but why do we always rely on the dads? Why do we not ask the mums? And we're doing a lot of work at the moment with the mums at our club to try and get give them confidence. And we recently ran a session that shows the mums that you have all of these skills. What the only the only aspect of the four corner model that you don't potentially have is the technical side. You have all of the social and the all the other aspects. So it's just trying to try change their mindset really, as to to say, well, coaching isn't really about the drills as such or the how you how you actually kick a ball it's all of the additional things that goes go with it i mean quite a different uh way of working there you've got the top tip from this point obviously we're doing this to the things to take away is michael you're looking at obviously working with the youth of today and working with the education and emma you're working with the mums that are around the club and it's great to see how you've got those two different ideas yeah, yeah, it's definitely like I say. At the minute, it probably works better for us to, to look at the younger age. We're in, we're in a, we've got a lot of girls at the older end who is interested in it, and it's, they're probably more likely to do it than, than mums are. Uh, mums generally just drop, take the kids, drop them off, stand and watch sort of thing. But it's, it's something we'll I will try and do further down the line, maybe. But yeah, definitely, um, we'll, we'll we'll focus on on, on that one for the, for the minute. Well, I think the good thing is. Like Emma, from your perspective as well, there's a lot of information out there now that's accessible for you know for people to look at drills and you know whether you use a subscription-based thing where there's drills that are there for you or there's stuff on YouTube and Twitter and and elsewhere. So I think that you know when you're talking about it, just missing that technical side of it, I suppose it is there for them to learn if if they want to, which I suppose is a really, is a really good thing, but. Hopefully, from this anyway, you know, once we put this out to to the audience, there's people in the area of, you know, where you guys are based, and they they want to get involved. That are, that are on the female side. So, fingers crossed on on that front. Um, taking it back a step, so barriers to entry for a girl coming into playing for a club. If you're, you know, if you're a parent and your your girl, there's a, maybe like a couple of girls, and they've not got a girls' club in their area, and you're maybe looking at setting up a team from scratch what barriers do they have and what kind of tips would you give them so if you were in that position yourselves with what you know now what would you tell them um just opportunity forget about winning just just get get them get them girls in to make a team and make it enjoyable start off with that that's the first thing that i would say just, um, just, just get enough girls to make a team and, and make it enjoyable. Did you align yourself with the county FA, Michael? Yeah. Did you go and, and did the women? What county FA? Lancashire or Manchester? Lancashire, yeah, Lancashire. Yeah. So the women and girls officer at the county FA helped develop the club, or was it all already 
Um, back in the day, they did. Um, the, yeah, I find, no, no, they're all busy, everybody's busy, but I find you get things done if you just do it yourself <laughs> quicker and, um, and, talk, and talk to the right people. Otherwise, um, you know, you can be down the line and no further on. So, yeah, the, 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 the women's and, and um, what do you call it, LFA women's and girls uh, rep is, is really good. But like I say, Lancashire is a massive area. It's probably the biggest county in the country for um, for for football. So yeah, um, like I said, we, we they are involved. They, we get them involved in all sorts, and they know everything that's going on, and we ask advice. But generally, we um, we'll we'll just um, get things moving ourselves um, and push on from there. Um, it just um, saves a lot of time. Yeah, from our our perspective, I'd say like um, there's two sides of it. I agree, like the fun factor is the biggest thing if the girl if you've only got two or three girls if you make their sessions as fun as possible they will bring their friends and they will talk about it at school and that's just how it happens so that would be the biggest thing in terms of the players the other thing i guess that we did was focus really on the community that you're involved in whether you can go to community events or we have like a sports festival for example loads of different things you could get involved in we just had to just get our name out there as much as possible um and and people would just word of mouth really just hear about what we're doing and want to come along and joining um and having a really good team of people around you that can support that journey because it is really tough at the beginning that first bit where you don't really know who you are you don't really know what you're doing it can be quite a challenge and i definitely faced the, the challenge of other existing clubs around me just saying well just join us why are you starting something new there's no point in starting something new there's so many clubs in our area but for us or for me at least the club I wanted to create didn't align with their like philosophies or their ethoses so I just wanted to create something new so also just believe in what you want to do and believe in yourself and what your purpose is yeah no, that's really really good information i think for people that are maybe looking at, at doing that because i'm sure there are areas in you know in the country where it's underrepresented and you know there's girls that want to play that probably can't at the minute so i think those are you know really good places to start we talked touched on it slightly about pathways and, and michael i know that you've mentioned obviously about the older girls looking at getting into that coaching side i'm, I'm interested to see and hear like what both of your kind of like ideas are around pathway and what what where do girls go to once they hit that barrier of you know outgrowing you know the the age groups that you guys run is like is there an adults team in the area do you guys have one yourself you know do they go into coaching what 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 is it well yeah we we've all just started um just during pandemic last year actually in about june time we got everything together for, for a new open age team they've just yeah, it's a bit. They've just never been able to get going at all um, with everything that's gone on. So obviously, um, our what our now will be under 18s. There's a there's somewhere for them to go on. But off the back of that as well, um, I'm looking at um, putting um, like provision for you know to move on to um, like B Tech colleges in sport for those that want it and get to play football as well as part of and do the coaching and. Everybody, and then, like I said, it's just having the opportunities there for, any, for anybody that, that wants to continue, really. Um, 
so that the open age is going to be um, the, the next step after the under 18s probably um, and maybe under 21s I don't know yet we'll see what happens but obviously that age now people are going off to college and, and stuff so it's just having that opportunity if, whether it be it uh, Man City Everton or wherever where they do the B-Techs and, and get to play football at the same time then uh, that's the sort of partnerships that we're going to be looking for and, and see what we can offer the girls once they get to that to that point so. yeah Isari girls we very different really we kind of know our specialty is six to 16 year olds so we don't have any plans to extend that so we've partnered with a sister club Ashmount Lee FC um, who are a new club this well will be a new club this year they're starting in September um, and they're a, the women's club ran by women for women so they're really um, inspiring and we know them um, on a personal level because we've had some of them come and coach for us in the past so yeah we decided to, to partner up with them so there's a pathway so that once the girls sort of graduate as such from Isari girls they can go on to play for Ashmount um, and the idea is that we'd get some of their players to come and coach for us as well. So there is more continuation and like the players know some of their players and they're used to them. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to uh, offer a different opportunity away from East Surrey girls. Cause we know like in the title it's East Surrey girls. And when you get to that sort of age, like 16, 17, well, I did anyway. I sort of d didn't count myself as a girl. You want to be thought of as a woman. So let's create an opportunity where they can actually be that. Mm. No, brilliant. That's, um, again, you've both got your, you've both got your, your you know, your colours nailed to the mask to an extent there and what you want to do next. But it being stable, I think is great that they're actually, you know, they've got a, they've got a route. It's not, when I when I hit sixteen and I finished playing football myself, I was like, "What do I do now? I don't feel like I'm grown up enough to play adult football, but I can't. I'm now too old to play the age group that I was at." And I was in limbo for two years, and then fell out of love with playing football. And then, you know, the all the, the side effects of that, you know, of exercising less, you're not socialising as much with a group of people that you don't see at school. So the fact that you've got that, I think, I think it's brilliant. Sorry, Ben, go on. Sorry, I, I was going to say from obviously. Very, potentially very different answers. Um, but what what are the leagues like for the open age group um, for you, Michael? And and what do you know what it's like for for Ashmount as well, Emma? Is is there many teams that are within that open age uh, leagues? Yeah, I, I was is uh, the one that we've, we've got several options really. There's um, we're quite lucky that under the Lancashire FA, there's a recreational league which is what it is, just recreational, and there's a um, uh, uh, I call it a proper league you know you get fined and all sorts in it so it's, it's just gauging the feeling of, of what, what the girls want to do and you know can either rearrange times or whatever whereas the other one's fixed so it's that understanding are you, are you just coming for fun or do you want to give it the full the full thing so yeah it's we've got, we've got plenty of options and it's all the way from I don't know Preston all the way up to Carlisle so <laughs> so there's a yeah, a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, teams in between, so um, yeah, plenty of options for for everybody, um, and even even one of our teams now is playing in the boys league, uh, first time ever. That was one of my questions actually. <laughs> so um, yeah, 
um, there's plenty of options. So it's one good thing about Lancashire. We're not we're not short of uh, places to go, so, which is good. Yeah, and and for Ashmount, I'll be honest, I'm I'm not totally sure, um, but I know that they are the only sort of proper, <laughs> as you say it, like proper team in our local area for girls or women to to play. Um, there's loads of rec teams around which are brilliant um but they're they will be yeah the only proper team so it's i'm not quite sure to be honest how many um how many women's teams are, are in sort of surrey or that local area i know definitely the league we play in which is the surrey county women and girls there's there's definitely not women's team so they're not playing in that league so yeah it's just quite interesting um and i think it's the other thing as well is for women's rec football, where where I am anyway, that for the most part starts when you're like thirty plus. So I do think there's a huge gap for girls in the, on the recreational side when between sort of sixteen to thirty. Because I totally understand why women's rec teams are thirty plus because that's their target audience. They're for women who maybe haven't played before or just wanted to have a bit of fitness, which is fine. But but I do well for where we are in Surrey. I do think there is a gap for that age group. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think this is with our open age team. There's a lot of the girls that finished with us at 16 and have done nothing till they're like 21, 22 now. And then we started that team and they're, they're coming back. So yeah, I think yeah you're right. I think there's definitely a gap there. Um, so we'll uh, hopefully we can, we can fill that somewhere. You guys have, you know, as clubs, been, you know, been really well established now. Um, one question that I have got with with that is, how has participation changed over the years? Obviously, now I, I think it was only last week that Sky Sports. It might have even been this week that Sky Sports announced the WSL um, TV rights. What kind of impact has, has that had in like the media coverage? Is that really increased? Participation tenfold. I was only talking about this the other day. I, I I think for us, it's usually like my girls, my team. They don't. I keep telling them watch football, do this, and and they don't. They don't. They don't watch it. They they don't know. I was. We were asked to do an interview about Black Lives Matters, and all the girls didn't have a clue and what they're doing, what footballers are doing, and that. But now women's football's coming more to the fore and we've done um, some chat sessions. We had um, Lizzie Walder from Crystal Palace with the girls and, and Vicky Jepson chatting to the girls. They're really starting to take more notice. So hopefully with more exposure and more more push across the mainstream, it'll more girls will take notice of it. Um, the, I think last time it was the Euros. After the Euros, we had a big uh, World Cup. We had a big push on and it's the Euros next year. So... Um, hopefully that'll that'll cause increase again. But but generally, yeah, it, I don't. Majority of ours, aside from a, a few that I know of, don't really know that much about what's going on in world of football. Certainly not in my line. <laughs> yeah, I think our players are well fifty fifty really. Fifty yeah. percent of them watch it, and fifty percent don't. But those that do watch it, for the most part, watch women's football, which is quite good. So I know when I played, probably around I don't know two thousand and seven ish. I'd never ever watched a women's football match. Like probably, I, I couldn't even name you a player at that point. 
so the fact that even now uh, we're quite fortunate because we're quite close to Chelsea we're quite close to Crawley play just down I'm um, sorry Brighton play down the road from us in Crawley so it's we're quite fortunate that we have opportunities to go and watch live matches when you can obviously um yeah we have we have a quite a good partnership with Brighton and they um sort of create opportunities for our players to go and be ball girls at matches and we get free tickets in, in blocks so we can all go together as a club so actually going to watch live women's football is is something that's quite frequent for our players and I do think that the more they go the more they buy into it and something like the I agree the women's world cup in 2019 was a game changer in in a sense of how well England did and I think if England were to win a major tournament that would be that would just push girls and women's football like out of out of the stratosphere it would just would be brilliant um so I do think it has a huge impact and our definitely our participation grew from major tournaments um so yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens with the Euros next year as well so so like quite a different question from me Ollie's point initially was regarding participation and how it's changing as if the exposure of WSL increased what about Covid now Obviously, COVID's meant there's been a lot more sedimentary lifestyles, a lot more less getting out there, less social. Do you think, and or has it increased participation? One, do you think there's going to be more girls turning up in potentially at older ages? And two, have you seen that yet? Not, not the older ages I haven't seen yet. Um, the wildcats have already started advertising for that. That's already going going through the roof. I think I think we're up something like forty you now. So I'm gonna have to I'm have to think about putting extra sessions on because yeah we've only got so much astro to but um, so that that's already on the rise since we advertised that again um, it's it sounds a bit daft really I'm not I'm not worried about new girls coming because they will it's it's retention of the ones mm-hmm. that we haven't kicked a ball since last November yeah so as far as I know there's nobody not coming back across the club so far. But um, obviously, it, we've not got back yet, and everybody's really excited. So um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not worried about recruiting new ones at all. It's it's more retention at this point, and what happens as we as we come out of um, get back playing again. So I would agree. Our our players, in terms of new players, we've had loads of interest during sort of the lockdowns in the last year for yeah new players looking for a different opportunity but it's that retention and I've definitely been in contact with a few parents whose daughters aren't as confident or they don't really believe in their own ability so they're so worried and like have really bad anxiety about coming back because they don't think they're going to be able to do it and they've lost all that confidence that they've spent years building um so like we're trying to put on one-to-one sessions with them to really give them a focused sessions dedicated to them where there's no pressure before um, or in addition to their own training that, that will be starting up soon so I do think yeah retention is going to be a huge issue and we'll see obviously with with the football season coming to an end who actually carries on next year because that might be the where people drop off which would be quite unfortunate because uh, yeah it's not a huge amount we can do but it's um in terms of new players, yeah, I don't think that will be... It's not really impacted us, really, COVID. 
I didn't think of the retention side of things, to be fair, but I, as you both just pointed out, that's quite a key thing. I'm, I've been more thinking that there'd be more people wanting to do more sport because of such, well, no sport in the past 18 months, uh, 12 months. I think we're all, we're all chomping at the bit, aren't we? <laughs> Being able to play and play regularly, knowing that we're going to complete a season and there's going to be fixtures and everything. So roll on, roll on the 29th. Emma, you've, the way that you introduced yourself at the start of this, there was um, multiple job roles within the club and I presume you've got, you know, you work alongside this, obviously. Is this basically a full-time job in itself? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but it's something that I love doing, so it doesn't feel like a full-time job. Um, well, it is and it isn't, to be fair. So I, I guess when, you, when we started out the first year or two years, it was a full-time job. But as we've grown, we've got more people on board within our committee and we've got more coaches and more people buying into what we do. So it's the um, actual workload is less, but we're just doing more. Um, but yeah, it is, I, would, I would say it's a, a full-time job, but it's something, it's just something you love doing. It doesn't feel like... It, it is a full-time job and it feels like it's just so positive all the time and something you actually want to spend all your time doing. Yeah, I think you take, you take away that, that job element from it, don't you, when, you, when it's something that you enjoy. And I think me and Ben probably think that about Kit Locker. <laughs> when, our, when our employees are listening to this, I, I hope that goes down well. <laughs> Michael, you, I think, Michael, what you said about like, um, you know, having all the, the other coaches and stuff, you does that spread the workload and like the responsibilities of the club a little bit better when you've got like a good group of people that are involved? Um, well, yeah, I think we, we, we've got. I mean, for, for our committee, it's a relatively small committee, but you know, we've got we've got a fantastic chairman. He's been he's been doing it for twenty years. Um, next year, um, yeah, he 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 just lets us get on with it. We. You know, we've got a, a fantastic vice chairman, our treasurer, our child welfare. And the biggest thing from, from, from everybody else is they just buy into it, everything that we're doing. Everybody's um, all, all aiming towards the same thing. There's no egos. There's nobody hell-bent on, you know, winning trophies and wants the best of everything. We just, um, it, it's just, it's just one, big, one big team, really, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, there, there is plenty of work to be done. But, you know, it's, 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 it's that ease of how it gets done as opposed to um, this is what we're doing we're going to do this this yep cool no problem and everybody just gets on with it so yeah it's, it's it's really it's really good to be a part of them and like Emma said it's not really it's not really a job it's <laughs> you, you you just do it you've got you've got 250 girls relying on you all to, to get out playing every week so um, yeah it's it's interesting as well that you've got East Surrey girls that were set up in 2018 is that right I mean yeah 20 year olds Exton girls, it's, it's and both are girls teams clubs. Should I say sorry? So it's it, it works. Obviously from your side, I mean you know it works, but mm. then you've got that evidence, that historical evidence, so to speak, that it shows it works as well. Um, but then even with even with the, the 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 elite side of things, I know financially they've struggled, but Doncaster Bells, they were the the girls or women's club at the time ten eight years ago. As I mentioned, financially the things have changed, but they were solely a, a, a women's football club, and, and subsequently girls' teams as well. And even back in, 
like I said, years ago, that was a model that worked. So it's, it's great that it does, it does work. Not work, it's successful. And you don't need to rely on the, the, the lads is probably where I'm saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Going back to the, how do you run a successful girls football team then? I think there's two major takeaways from what you guys have both said. And that is, one, enjoy it. And also, two, have people bought into it. And I think that if you've got those two things, you probably are on the right track um, of making it a sustainable, a sustainable club. One thing, I'm not, I'm not saying this negative in the slightest, but I imagine that you've had issues. Like you, we've all have problems, and you know, getting the club to where it is to today. You are both successful, <clears throat> but what has been the, you know, that the major issue? that you faced that you you know you've overcome or you're still overcoming now what's kind of like been the main thing that you've you know that you identified as being this is something that we need to get right to carry on i think the the biggest thing for us at the minute is is facilities it's it's the the one single biggest thing that's stopping us um from expanding further like i said we're we're in the middle of some some really big really big boys clubs and there's all, all the schools and AstroTurf and everywhere else. It's just taken over by 20 to 30 teams. Um, part of our, our, grow, our area, our pitches were taken over by housing development. So we've had that cut down from three pitches to two. And luckily we've managed to um, secure a school um, to, to move our younger teams onto. So that, that's the single biggest challenge for us at the minute is, is just um, getting, getting more facilities. Um, for, for us to, to keep growing and, and, and keep going on. I would say for us as coaches, um, obviously you do rely on parents a lot and particularly with something like Wildcats, you have this group of girls and some of them are only there for, if they're there for a year, they get to a point where they, they want a new challenge, they want to go into a team. So you create a new team, but then you're stuck with that challenge of, well, who's going to run it? And it happens to us every season as it's you've really got to sell it or you've got to use your sales techniques to to get a parent to buy into it and it's that whole thing about commitment and flexibility and um yeah how much they want to give and for us yeah that's just been a challenge for us and we we haven't really um found a solution in terms of like the best way to go about it um yeah at the moment we just we just approach the parents that seem the most proactive but then again it goes back to that whole thing of well we're approaching the dad why we're not approaching the mums and so it's a massive massive piece of work um but that for the most part that's the thing that stops us creating more and more new teams because we just need people to run them within the customers that we work with at kit locker and the network of people that i know across football there's I think that's quite a resounding thing across football is who can run the teams if a dad, for example, doesn't want to. Now, I'm just going to speak men and uh, male and female football, but one thing that clubs have started to do, and notice more clubs have started to do, is the, um, the more coaching companies that are now coming through, they're then aligning themselves with a, co- a grassroots club, aligning themselves with a coaching company to then run the teams, which... As long as the coaching company buys into the club, you know you're going to get that streamlined approach. The club gets a, a manager or a coach for the team. Is that something that you'd ever look at or do you feel that you, you're passing the reins on a little bit too much? 
we've definitely thought about it before because I know clubs locally that do the same thing. The only thing with that is that by our club being of like volunteers or people, for example, whose daughter plays, it sort of creates like this community and people really feel like one big family. And if you're getting coaches in from external, I don't think there's an issue with it, but there just, there could be that um, barrier where that, that community feel might get lost. Yeah. Um, as long as they, obviously you'd have to guarantee they buy into your ethos and to what you're trying to, um, to trying to sell essentially. So that would be the only, the only caveat with that. But I guess it depends on the company. It depends on how you approach it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, it's, it's really difficult. But like I say, it's, it, it sounds like a cliche, but it's, it's, it's more than a club. It's, it's like a community. For somebody to come in out of the blue and just not be part of it for, for so long, it's, it's difficult to do. But having said that, if, it, if, if it's the right the right people at the right time, then it's obviously something that, that you, you consider. But um, but yeah. Guys, I've got 11 discussion points and I've ticked them all off. <laughs> I really, really appreciate your, your insight and your feedback. It's been really enlightening. I think it'll go a long way for people that are looking to get into playing or setting up a club, um, having, having your expertise on this. So I really appreciate it. Before we shut off the recording. Ben, is there anything else that you, you want to ask? I was actually going to um, suggest to uh, to the guys here, is there any like summary or final points you'd like to put out there for, for best practice to people listening? Um, no, well, one of the things that we've just started doing is, and I would, I would really encourage this, and it all got stopped because of the pandemic, is get um, get the girls involved in, in, your, in your youth council get a youth council, get them um, how to, what they want from the club and how to run and what they, what they want to, to, how to run it, what to have, decide their own team names, kits, whatever they want. <laughs> let, let, the, let the kids have the input. Um, Brilliant. Youth council. And, um, that, that would be my uh, uh, advice. I, I definitely agree with that because um, that's something we do at our club as well was we just li- you've got to listen to the players at the end of the day they're the ones that are playing they're the ones that are actually putting in the effort although we all do put in effort as well but they're the ones running around um, and it's an opportunity for them so why are all these adults making the decisions the kids should make the decisions right that just makes sense um, so that would be I agree that would be one for me and I guess the other one would be like just be super adaptable and creative and, and how you do things. Like just because something's been done before or that's the way it's always been done doesn't mean that's the right way. Um, so just, yeah, I guess take in culture and society and everything that's going on around you and, and just be adaptable to that and, and to what best suits the girls. Exactly. Like I said, what works for my team doesn't work for our other 16, all the coaches do what they see fit on whatever day. If they can see the girls can't be bothered, just give them a ball and they'll go and play or whatever after a tough day at school. But yeah, definitely let them let them make call the shots. I think as well, one probably compiling both of that is 
what works in a men, uh, a boys' football club that someone may have come from or been witness to may not work in a girls' football club, and that's that's the main reason why you're doing what you're doing, why we're on this call, is because because it's a girls' football club. Yeah, it's different. I'll, I much prefer the girls' football to the boys. It is. It sounds really selfish, but it's a lot purer. There's no, there's no rolling about on the floor. There's no arm flailing. They say sorry to each other when they when they've cropped each other, sort of thing. It's it's a lot more. Uh, how can I say? Moldable as opposed to what all the boys kicking each other in playgrounds and elsewhere and, and God knows what else. Whereas the, the girls, they're just an absolute pleasure, and they really, they really um, take everything on board and, and do the best. Um, but yeah, I'd rather I'd coach girls any day a week. <laughs> <laughs> I think that probably does come from watching the pro game as well. And mm. like you said about the girls not watching it as much, they just want to play. So exactly. yeah. Mm. Well, guys, absolute pleasure. And on behalf of everybody that's listening to this, and obviously myself and, and Ben and everyone at Kitlock, I really appreciate your time. So if anyone's got any um, you know, feedback that's listening to this or they want to get in touch, just uh, yeah, give us a shout. So thank you very much. Yeah, cool, no worries. Thank you. The com Club Series podcast. podcast. Talking everything grassroots.